Greetings in that worthy name, Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was rejected. He didn't have to be rejected. He chose to come and put himself in that situation. He was fully accepted in heaven. He was fully in tune with the Father and with the Spirit. But he came to his own and his own received him not. And he knew that. That's why he could prophesy that. So thank you for the first message, Brother Matt. I thought of a balancing perspective, but I thought that's probably not. There, there's a balance. You know, there's a place. I, I just was reading there as I was sitting there about if any man doesn't follow this epistle, have nothing to do with him. If he doesn't follow the epistle, but it says then it, it conditions it. But don't treat him as an enemy, but as a brother. So there's conditional rejection in certain cases, but it should be done very purposefully and very graciously. So there's that part as well. Well, I'm glad we can be together and... uh There was a man here this morning that found a propane leak in the kitchen. A tank was opened up and was left cracked open. And so uh, I'm glad we didn't have to evacuate. So I'm still glad we're here. I'm glad we're all here and none of us are uh, laying on the ground unconscious and we are we're we're okay. I don't know how your headaches are doing, but I'm thankful that we're we could uh, continue to continue the meeting this morning, considering everything. And want to welcome back the Hirsch family. Good to see you here and fill in the seat here. And it's a blessing. Okay, I think we'll read a scripture and then we'll have a time of prayer after that. But this morning I thought I would go back to my exegesis of Second Timothy. In my interrupted there, and uh, so you can turn there, and we'll read a few verses, and we'll have a time of prayer. Second Timothy, chapter one, verses eight to ten. We'll read those three verses, and we'll we'll focus on four four words this morning. Verse verse eight. Be be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Okay, let's just pause for a word of prayer. Bow our heads. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word. 
Lord, without the light of your word and without your gracious invitation, Lord, we would be undone this morning. Lord, not not only would uh, we be rejected, but we be rejected, rejected forever. So, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your invitation and your adoption. Thank you for taking the place on the cross that we deserved. That, that, is, that is the rejection that we deserved. And now, Lord, I pray this morning as we look into your word that you would clearly instruct us what you want us to learn. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a little bit of background, like I normally do. This is a letter that the veteran Apostle Paul gave to a much younger man, Timothy. And this letter was written from a a leader to a leader. So the whole letter of Timothy is... It's a, it's a letter for leadership. It's a letter for leaders. It's focusing on leadership and administration, and yet it's for all of us. Just think of that one verse, and there you can go through a lot about that one verse. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That was given to Timothy as a leader. Timothy, study. You're a workman. Make sure you're approved. And you need to rightly divide the word of truth. It's given to a leader. But it's for all of us, right? We all need to do that. So this letter is for all of us. The last message was on don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and don't be ashamed of God's sold out workers like Apostle Paul. Instead of being ashamed, prepare to suffer. And suffering affliction is actually a reoccurring theme in this letter. In fact, all of Paul's letters. And you know what? Some of that, some of that suffering you know that. Some of that suffering was rejection. <laughs> it was more than that, but it was definitely that. Back to the Sermon on the Plain that John is teaching, talking about affliction and enduring suffering. Jesus did say there in the Sermon on the Plain, Luke 6.22, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you, from their company. Now that's rejection, is it not? Blessed are ye though, and they shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. But Jesus says, if you're doing it for the Lord, that rejection, you are blessed. Just remember that. If you're doing something for the Lord and you are rejected for it, God says you are blessed. So you are blessed when men hate you, when they kick you out of their company, when they spew evil about you on social media. (laughs) Put it in our day for the Son of Man's sake. 
Okay, this verse. Verse 9. Verse 8 is, don't be ashamed. That was the last message. Verse 9 here. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which, is, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Paul told Timothy, God has saved us. Now, I was like to think, I like to think in terms, why does Paul put something like this in a letter? And why does Paul tell Timothy, God saved us? Didn't Timothy know that? What do you think? Why did Paul, well, Paul, let's see, I, I, I checked the, uh, the uh, chronology of it, and I think it's at least 16 or 17 years before that Paul met Timothy and took him along with him. So he's with, with Paul and working with Paul as a, as a full, full uh, fellow co-laborer for 17 years. And and even before that, Paul says, you know, to uh, talk, talking about Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scripture. From a child thou hast known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So why does Paul remind Timothy that we are saved? Interesting. Uh, I... I thought of two two reasons. One is general, and the other is in context. The general reason is ministers and leaders, and this is what we're talking about, need reminding and confirmation. I remember as a younger Christian going to special meetings, and you had a, a, a dynamic, uh, you say we call them a powerful preacher, they come across with confidence and with um, convincing confidence. It's like you look at them, that, that man has it together. That man doesn't need to hear anybody else preach because he gets all he got from God. Well, I'm going to blow your bubble this morning. Preachers need to hear other preachers preach. Maybe more so. Ministers need to hear other preachers. In fact, we really like it. And preachers and ministers and leaders and fathers and mothers and youth, everybody, we need to be reminded what God has done to us through other people. So, maybe Paul was just reminding Timothy. But in context is the other reason. As Timothy was, as a Christian leader, he was, he was in a hostile environment. And he had just got done telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. You're going to suffer affliction. And when you're called to suffer, when you are suffering, you need to have a real good reason to suffer, especially if you have an avenue out of suffering. We seek when, when we're in pain, we seek uh, alleviation for that pain. And so if you are in suffering, 
and you're suffering for the gospel's sake, you can disobey God and alleviate the suffering. Or you can remain in the suffering and obey God. Those are the choices you have. It is really helpful to remember, I am saved. I, God saved me and I am going somewhere. And so that's possibly the other, the other reason why he reminds Timothy, what he said, who has saved us? God has saved us. And that is true if you are suffering at the hands of unbelievers or if you are suffering in the midst of an apostate or a drifting people of God. Because if you're in the middle of, I mean, we can understand it, unbelievers, and you're suffering for it, yeah, okay. But let's imagine you are standing true to the word of God, but other people around you are not. Then it causes suffering. Just remember, it is God which has saved you and he's called you. But I'd like to look at this truth this morning. This one truth, these four words, he saved us. And I'm going to take that speak on that this morning and we might say what well, saved us from what saved us to what you know uh, we can start at the basics you know God made mankind in the beginning he made him there in the garden God didn't need to do that if you go back in the eternity past and, and you can just try to let your mind go and you have the Father and you have the Son and you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Trinity, the triune Godhead, what was lacking there? There's nothing lacking there. They had fully sufficient, fully contained, full fellowship. There's no need, no lack, nothing. But he, they chose to make mankind and have fellowship with mankind. And so they did. And we know the story there in the garden. <clears throat> Man was made in God's image and he was perfect. And then mankind fell. I was going to use I was going to bring some eggs along, and I know I did this years ago. A table here with eggs, and I looked to see if there's any eggs here. And the only thing I found in the refrigerator back there is some um, pasteurized, homogenized, whole liquid egg with citric acid. And I thought that won't work. <laughs> but I was going to, going to get a table this morning, and here's this table. And you have an egg, and you can point paint smiley faces on and you'd be an artist you could actually put hair and put everything on those and those are nice eggs there's a, those are Adam and there's Eve there's two eggs and they're in the garden and God says uh, this is your garden you're blessed you have everything you need only don't fall off the table if you fall off the table you will surely break the devil comes and says, you know what? There's something not wrong. Do you, know, do you actually realize that you're actually inside a shell? 
and you don't want to be inside a shell. Uh, you're, you're, you're constricted. Uh, you don't have liberty. You're in a shell. Did you know that if you drop off the table, you actually turn into a chick? Yeah, well, if you turn into a chick, that's what you'll do. And so Eve believes the devil and falls over, goes to the edge and drops. And did she turn into a chick? No. She got out of her shell, but it was not a good thing. Okay, mankind fell. Now, what happened to their children? Their children are born same way. Their children inherited that estrangement from God. Now, there's, there's a few ideas of, of man's depravity. There's the one idea that, well, man is basically good. He's not, he's not, um, he has a lot of things against him. Mankind has a lot of things against him, uh, talking about individuals. His environment is against him. His, um, society is against him. He's, he's ignorant. If he would, he just needs to be helped. If he could discover his inner hero and get a little more government help, maybe a lot of government help, he could finally blossom and be everything he could be. That's one view of mankind because everyone knows mankind, there's something wrong with us. We all know that. But what, what's wrong with us? Then there's the other view that man is kind is totally depraved and he can't respond to God. He, um, if man will be helped, God is going to do it and God does it from one end to the other because man is totally depraved. He can't, he's so depraved he can't respond to God. And I believe the, the truth is actually in the middle there. Where mankind is born, he's estranged from God. He is broken. He is so broken that all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put him together again. They say it that way. He is broken. He cannot fix himself. But he can respond. He can respond to God. God's word tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, very familiar verses. I'm going to read two verses here. Wherein in times past, talking about people who are saved, but in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, and this we all means Jews and Gentiles, interestingly, had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers, lust, and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And we that's what the scripture says about all of us. And we know by experience that that is true. And if you go to Galatians chapter 5 and you look at the 
the, the sins of the flesh and you look at the fruits of the spirit. Now, I know when I'm pointing the sins of the flesh over here and the fruits of the spirit, that doesn't mean that these are all good and these aren't. Look at those lists and say, which one comes most natural to you? And we will say, yes, mankind is marred. He needs to be saved. And you just compare that with what Adam and Eve had before the fall. How does one become unlost? If we're lost, how does one become unlost? How do we get back to God? How do we actually restore what was lost? Since we are lost from God, he is the one we need to hear and listen to get back to. Peter preached the sermon when he was talking after the church started. He preached the sermon and he said one statement in that sermon in Acts chapter 2 verse 12. He said, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He's talking about the Lord Jesus. He was preaching a sermon about the Lord Jesus. And I thought I would look at a Bible example of somebody getting saved this morning. Because illustrations work best when we can actually see it happening. Turn to Mark chapter 15, and we'll look at a few verses there. We're going to look at um, a negative example of this first, and then we'll look at the positive one. Here's the negative example. Verse 29 of Mark 15 to verse 32. Jesus is on the cross, and they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyed the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And here's the, the sentence, And they that were crucified with him reviled him. Those were the two, they called the two thieves, the two malefactors that were crucified with him, reviled him also. Matthew and Mark record that both criminals that were crucified on either side of Jesus joined the crowd in mocking Jesus. Both of those gospels record it. But Luke, and you can turn to Luke, Luke chapter 23. Luke records a change in one of those thieves. He's a meticulous historian recorded under the inspiration of God. And he records for us a change of heart in one of them. One of those two men that were crucified with Jesus on the cross, got saved. The broken egg, and he was saved. Starting at verse 39 of chapter 23. And one of the malefactors, which was hanged, railed on him, saying, 
If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Saved. Him who had been clearly lost. We're going to look at the robber this morning. What did he do? How did he get saved? Number one, he had a fear of God. He said to the other, but dost thou not fear God? He asked the other man. You know, when things were going well for this man, I don't know what for career this man had. They pretty well think that he could have been an insurrectionist. I know that Barabbas, uh, the one that was released in Jesus, was an insurrectionist and he had uh, committed murder. And uh, the same word to describe Barabbas is used to describe this, but it doesn't describe his crime. They call them thieves or robbers or malefactors. They were criminals. They did something wrong. But it seems like he didn't have the fear of God in his past. He disobeyed God. He did what he wanted to do with abandon, not caring, not fearing God. Didn't think much about God or eternity. He lived as if there were no eternity, no future judgment, no heaven and no hell. He lived as if there was no God to stand before This is how most people live. They pacify themselves in numerous ways as they live that way. They said, well, I'm not as bad as the other person. I'm better than they are. I'm good enough. I hear this at work a lot. If the people treat me right, I treat them right. And that, to them, I don't treat good people bad. And to them, that pacifies their conscience uh, publicly. Or maybe they uh, do have a bad conscience to say, well, I still have lots of time to change. Or maybe we don't even believe in hell. Maybe we believe in a very merciful God. And they're lost. Well, this, this thief had come to the end of the road and he was lost. Now, if anyone ever stood on the brink of hell, that was this man, was it not? A few more hours to live, and he's dead. And he's clearly a wicked man. And and there was no way he was going to come down. He, he could no longer move one hand or one foot. He was immobile. It was nothing he could do. He could not go back and make things right. 
he could. It's this man is done for. Some would say it's too late. With some people's idea of salvation, it would be too late because this man can do no good works to earn his way to heaven anymore. But he had one thing. He got one thing. He got the fear of God. And he knew he was going to stand before God and give an account for his life. Do you know that? That you will stand before God and give an account for your life. So number one, for a person to be saved, you must be convinced that there is a judgment coming. And you are not ready and it must, I say, scare you. You must have some fear. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So this man, he had a fear of God. Number two, is he acknowledged himself as a sinner. He said to his companion, we received the due reward of our deeds. Now he acknowledges his own ungodliness and the just, uh, the justice of the punishment he got. Now that justice that he got was being on the cross. He was on the cross because he was guilty. He knew he was guilty. <clears throat> but beyond that, he was, knew he was guilty before God and he makes no attempt to ju- justify himself. He speaks like a man that was humbled, a man that has accepted that judgment on him. For anyone to be saved, there's one word that has to be erased from our vocabulary. It's the word but. I am a sinner, but I have done wrong but but I was in a bad situation. But I was abused. But I had to make a living. You know, we tend to believe that the reason we are the way we are is because we went to bed and bumped our head and couldn't get up in the morning. And we excuse ourselves. Or maybe our mom botched our potty training. Or maybe our teacher didn't recognize our efforts in homeschooling and didn't praise us enough. Those are reasons given why we are the way we are. <clears throat> and today, we psychologize our, our problems. And we explain our problems. Their problem. No, their sins, but their problems. The whole way from eating disorders to marriage problems to mass shootings are explained away. All kinds of psychological insights to show us who we are and what we are and why we are the way we are. 
This thief, I don't know what his background was, but he did not blame it on something else. He had no buts. We are receiving the just punishment of our deeds. The judgment I'm facing is just, and by implication, the judgment that we face when we stand before God is just. There are no excuses. There's no justification. There's no answer back. You know, that's where Job came to when Job was in his dire situation and he began to talk and then God came and showed himself. And Job said, you know what he said? He said, I put my hand to my mouth. Once I saw reality, I had no answer. I answered once, but I didn't answer again. That's a good place to be. Now we can move on. Number three, he knew about Jesus. We know that by what he said to the other criminal. He said, this man has done nothing amiss. How much did he know about Jesus? I don't know. But he acknowledged Jesus for who he was. He was not guilty. He was innocent. He acknowledged we are guilty, but Jesus is not. How much did he understand about Jesus? I don't know. And so we're just going to let that, let that go. But he did know about Jesus. He knew some things about Jesus. He knew enough about Jesus to respond the way he did. So we won't talk much about that because we don't know. But number four, he turned to faith to Jesus. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Faith. Faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. And I must say what faith this thief had, because what did this thief see? What did he see in Jesus right there? Well, with his eyes, he saw a hapless, helpless, dying man, a bloody man, a helpless man, somebody who couldn't save himself, somebody who was going to be dead in a few hours. That's what he saw. So there's Jesus dying, and you have a person asking for help from him. Okay, put that together. Had you ever come up to someone in a sickbed and asked for help from them? Eternal help. Not only did he see Jesus, he saw all the important people of the whole nation, the, the leaders, mocking him. Everybody was rejecting this man. He... I don't know what he knew about Jesus' disciples, but they weren't around him either. They had forsaken him too. But what did he say? He said, Lord. That word Lord is the word curios. 
It means someone supreme in authority. It means controller. Now, the early Christians died because they would not say Caesar is curios. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is supreme in authority. Caesar is the controller. And they wouldn't say that. They say, no, Jesus is Lord. But this dying thief, he didn't see any scepter in Jesus' hand. He didn't see any royal crown on Jesus. He didn't see any outward dominion. He saw no soldiers, no bodyguards. He saw none of the things that a king has. But he called him Curios, Lord. There was no sign of might, only a person in agony and in weakness and in suffering and in pain. This thief saw Jesus going undergoing a dishonorable punishment. He was deserted, he was mocked, he was despised, he was blasphemed, he was rejected by all his own people, and this thief called him Lord. You know, I preached a message some time ago about the faith and works of Rahab because I was amazed at that woman at what she saw. This message could be titled The Faith of the Thief on the Cross. I didn't title it that. I'll get the title there later. It seemed that he saw what no one else on earth saw at that time. At least not publicly. Faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews. And this man had it. And God says, this is what, this is what people of faith have always done. He said, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And that's exactly what that faith, that, that thief did. He saw in Jesus God and he believed that Jesus would respond if he would seek him. So he comes to Jesus and he says, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. That is faith, pure and simple. So how is it for you and for I? Did you get saved by what you saw and felt around you? Did you get saved by natural impulse or by your human inclinations? Or did the word of God bring you conviction? Were you convicted of sin? Were you convicted of coming judgment? And did you come to Jesus as your only answer? Did you quit making excuse for your sin? Did you come to Jesus and call him Lord and surrender to him? And acknowledge him as Lord? You know, how much did the thief understand of Jesus? Um, did did he know that Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Did he know that Jesus was, 
prophesied the Old Testament and all those prophecies that are not coming true here? Did he understand that Jesus was making atonement for sin? I don't know. I know I didn't understand all that when I got saved. I don't, I knew that. I did not understand all that when I got saved. All I knew is I came to Jesus as a sinner in fear of the judgment of God. And I knew Jesus was the answer. And I came and gave myself to him because there was nothing else I knew to do. I knew he was the answer. And I came to him in that faith. Have you done that this morning? Number five, and this is a blessing. He received the assurance of his salvation. Jesus told him, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's assurance. You know, when we talk about rejection, you know, one thing we need is assurance from God. That will do it. Um, we all still feel rejection. I mean, we're human. We understand that. But this thief got a peace and got a joy. He was still in that pain. He was still extended out. He was still going to die. But he got something that he had never had before in his life. And like they say, it's uh, if you're... I know they talk like this way to prison, uh, prisoners already. You know, when you were out there, you were bound. But when you came in here and you got Christ, now you're free, even though you're in prison. This man, what did he get? He got his sins forgiven. He got his judgment removed. He got bliss and glory assured for eternity. No, of all the multitude of saved souls that you can imagine, can you imagine the, something such a glorious assurance as this dying thief on the cross? You know, and you can go from the whole way from Genesis to Revelation, and you will find no other person in the whole scripture that got this assurance given to him. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. That's assurance. Now, we have, we can have assurance. It's assurance of various ways, the witness of the Spirit, the, the, the working of the Spirit. You know, have all those things that we have assurance of. The Word of God gives us assurance. Many ways, this thief had these words spoken to him directly from a man right beside him. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, why? Why would Jesus say to a wicked man, to this violent robber, this insurrectionist, you are going to paradise with me? I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with you, this wicked, wicked man. Why did he say that? You know why? Jesus saw the Spirit of God working in this man. You know, when the Spirit of God works in a person, it leads a person one way. And this man went right 
down that road. How do we know that? Well, the Spirit of God, he had the fear of God. That's the Spirit of God working. If you got the fear of God, you got the Spirit of God working in you. He had a true sense of his sin. That's the Spirit of God working in a person. That's a blessing. If you got a fear of your sins and a fear of judgment, which he did not excuse, which is another work of the Spirit. The excuse is not the Spirit of God. And one thing I didn't mention in my points because it wasn't is that he actually witnessed to somebody. He witnessed to the other thief. That's the Spirit of God working. Jesus saw that. If you are moved to witness to someone else, not the Spirit of God. Listen to the Spirit of God. He told the other robber, don't you fear God. And then he came to Jesus, not by what he saw, but he came to Jesus in faith, calling him Lord. Believing in Jesus that he had the power to save him. Jesus saw all that. This man is for real. The Spirit of God is working in this man, and he's responding to the Spirit. He was being changed into a new man. He was a completely different man on this cross now than when he was when he got up that morning. When he got up that morning and faced this day, this is the day I'm going to go on the cross. He was one kind of a man, and like the other gospel saying, he even railed on Jesus. But something happened. The Spirit of God began to work, and he responded to the Spirit of God. That's amazing. That is amazing. Only the Spirit of God can take such a hard heart and melt it in such a fashion. And so quickly. Now, the Spirit of God works in different ways. Well, yeah. The Spirit, no, the Spirit of God all works in one way. We respond to the Spirit of God in different ways. Maybe that's a better way to, to describe it. I think that's probably better. We see how he, how he responded to it. Has the Spirit of God done such a work in your heart? Have old things passed away in your life, and has he made all things new for you? Have you fully yielded to the Spirit, of, to the Spirit, and has he taken out your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh? A soft and a responsive heart. Are you still walking in that heart? You know that the other thief that was on the on the cross, the other one, the one that didn't receive the Lord, that he didn't is remarkable in itself. In fact, it's doubly remarkable because while he was being tortured on the cross, he literally joined his torture. The one that nailed him on the cross were mocking Jesus. And he joined his Enemies in mocking Jesus. Not only was this man next to the Savior of the world and didn't see it, he heard the Lord pray. He heard him pray for his enemies. He witnessed the salvation of the other thief. He saw the world go dark 
and he heard the testimony and the words, the seven words on the cross and so on. He heard, he was all, he was right there. And it unmoved him. And he died. Lost. Adam and Eve, when they died and they were destroyed, that egg that's crashed and can never come back together again without the working of God, he died in that condition. He, we could say, what, what kept him? His pride or something kept him from submitting to the only one who could save him. And someday, one day, he's going to bow before Jesus. The one he was there on the cross, so one day he's going to bow before Jesus and he's going to acknowledge, you are Lord, the one that I mocked. But he's going to do so reluctantly and lost. Wow. You know, there's a day set before us, a day of full and free salvation. Jesus is very pitiful, and he's a tender mercy. And he he can do this. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall become white as snow. They'll be red like crimson. They'll become as wool. Now I'm going to... Get another, go down a little bit different vein here at the end here. This thief was never baptized. Is that a problem? He never partook of a communion service. Never. He wasn't even a church member. He never gave alms or money to the poor. He never went to anyone and asked him for forgiveness for what he'd done wrong, the people he stole from. All these are things we say need to be part of a true Christian's life. But he was a true Christian and he never did any of that. So a question comes, does it matter to God, those things? Are these things important? Some will use the example of the thief on the cross as if to say what that baptism and communion or membership and all those things, they're optional. They're not, they're not essential because obviously they're not essential because the thief was saved and he didn't do it. So you can be saved without baptized, being baptized and so on. Okay. Obviously, if God was pleased with the thief and he didn't do it, logically, it must not be an essential. And I'd just like to mention a little bit of that. There are three aspects to salvation. I don't know. I don't think I'll write it down. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. Number one is the initial salvation. Number one, initial salvation, which is justification which means in parentheses, saved from the penalty of sin. Number two is progressive salvation, which means sanctification, which means saved from the power of sin. That's a process. Being saved from the power of sin. 
And then number three is final salvation, which is glorification, which means saved from the presence of sin. Which of these three did the thief experience on the cross there? He experienced number one. He is just starting to experience number two, <laughs> but at very, very, very little experience in that. And after he died, he experienced number three. The thief on the cross is an example of salvation and assurance. He is an example for us of how a person gets saved and what for assurance they can receive. He is not an example for sanctification because he had no opportunity for that. And it's God's will that people are sanctified. I mean, let's think it this way. If the only problem is people are sinners and so someone gets saved and God says, God says, okay, we got that problem settled. Come home to glory. And as soon as somebody gets saved, they're gone. And somebody else gets saved, they're gone. And that's not how God works. That's not his plan and it's not his will. Salvation is not a product. I even sometimes wonder if salvation is a plan. Because sometimes the saying that salvation is a plan, the plan of salvation, it has the right place, but it has a lot of baggage with that. So salvation is actually a daily relationship with God in Christ. And it's not finished when one trusts Christ. It's only begun. It's not a fire insurance policy. Neither is it a ticket to heaven. But it is a life of growing Christ-likeness. You know, there's a proverbial saying that the more a couple, the longer a couple stays together or lives together, the more they look like each other. I don't know if that's true or not. But the more they... Well, the longer you are a Christian, the more you ought to look like Christ. That Maybe that's not true always either, but it should be. That's the goal. That's the goal of salvation. Therefore, salvation begins with the initial faith decision, but it must issue into a lifestyle of faith, which will someday consummate in sight in eternity. So I looked at three words this morning. Who has saved us? And the next verses there, and I don't know if I'll be speaking on this for sure. We'll see how the Lord leads. But the next is, and called us with a holy calling. And that would have very much the idea of sanctification. And maybe, maybe I will be speaking on that the next time. Are you saved this morning? Has the grace of God changed your life? Do you have assurance of salvation because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done on the cross and what he has done in your heart? The penitent thief on the cross went from grace to glory in one day. And that's the title of the message, From Grace to Glory. 
he got the grace of God, he responded to that grace, and he went to glory. We had the same opportunity, even though we usually, most of us will have more time in between. That was a deathbed conversion. That was for real. Okay. Why don't we, if we have time, let's, let's, let's kneel for prayer. Let's kneel for prayer. We can. Lord, as we bow before you this morning, we are awed and amazed and in wonder of the salvation that you have given to us and the pathway. And uh, it's true what you prophesied in Isaiah that come and buy without money and without price. There's salvation. It's available. You do not have to work for it. You do not have to earn it. In fact, we, we can't earn it. In fact, there in the verse it says, Lord, later, that not according to our works. It's not because we merit it, because we don't. But, Lord, it's so clear. It's so free. It's so available. And yet, it's only one way as we yield and give ourselves to your spirit, allow his spirit to lead us to you and surrender. So thank you. Thank you, Lord, this morning giving us your word. Thank you again for reminding us of your great salvation that you have done. And then, Lord, as we think of other aspects of enduring affliction and suffering for your cause, I pray, Lord, you would lead us in that as well. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.